0: This is Daniel Figel and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. We've covered a lot of use cases across sectors. Again, on Tuesdays, we cover AI use cases, everything from insurance, banking, oil and gas, you name it. Retail is an increasingly exciting space. More and more retail has been shifting to e-commerce, but brick and mortar retail still has a lot of transformation to go. In terms of changes to how we sell things in person to people, AI is definitely still a part of that mix. And even though e-commerce has shifted to be a larger part of the wallet share in uh, developed nations and even developing nations, Boots on the ground, regular old-fashioned retail is still where most consumer money is spent. And so deploying AI in those domains is is still astronomically relevant. We speak this week with Henry Nikula, who's the director of RelX Labs for a firm called RelX Solutions. It's an 800-person company uh, based in the Helsinki area who uh, develop uh, retail optimization software. And Henry speaks with us about how artificial intelligence is making its way into the brick-and-mortar retail environment. What are some of the opportunities? What are some of the the pockets where AI can add value? And what might the future of retail actually look like? If you're interested in answering that same question, be sure to download our AI and Retail Executive Brief. We have executive briefs for a number of different sectors and industries, and retail is one of them. So our AI and Retail Executive Brief can be found at emerj.com/r. R-E-T-1. That's R-E-T like retail, and then the number one. That brief is free. It's a free PDF download. You just go to the page. You can grab it. If you're interested in learning more about our coverage here at Emerge and getting a handful of the most relevant use cases for AI and retail, go to emerj.com slash R-E-T-1. Without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Henry with RelX Solutions here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Henry, I wanted to be able to sort of dive in first to the current impact of AI in brick and mortar retail. I know that you folks work in grocery and a lot of sort of traditional retail sectors. Where is AI making a dent today?
1: Uh, thank you. Really, really good question. I see there are quite a few points, but let's start first of all, kind of where most of my time at the moment goes, and it's the planning and optimization capabilities that the AI brings in into play now and especially i'm seeing and feeling from the retail field that what ai brings in is that we can nowadays optimize things more globally than before kind of traditionally retailers have have focused on on kind of one team or one department focused on merchandising one team focused on the supply chain one team focused on on optimizing the space but now with the ai uh, capabilities, we can actually start to optimize these things together. And and what here is, I feel really interesting is that oftentimes when we only optimize kind of uh, local optimums when we optimize one place at a time, it's easy for those organizations because they have their own KPIs and own metrics, how they're measured. But often we forget that what we do actually has an impact on the other parts yeah, of the organization. Yeah. And what we've seen in our in our research and in what we've kind of been doing is that, for example, if we take these two examples of the space side, so the retail space, so how much space do we allocate for different products and, and different stores and different categories, uh, and then the supply chain. If they start to work together, uh, we can actually achieve, quite surprisingly, a lot of benefits in, in the store operations. So if we actually sync the space with the supply chain and optimize them so that that whole flow goes really smoothly. The work amount needed in the stores can decrease really radically. And quite often, of course, since I'm from the Nordics, we the kind of workforce is fairly expensive here. <laughs> yeah. and, and the impact, impact of that, we can actually save much more in the store operations than what we could achieve by optimizing just the supply chain side or just the space side. And this is really interesting. And this is only possible because we nowadays have the data and the processing power that we can actually start crunching numbers so that we can find the global optimum rather than just the, let's say, optimizing each silo individually.
0: And it sounds to me uh, like that's actually a really strategic kind of way of thinking. It's 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 more than like, oh, we have all the data together, time to optimize everything. It's like, wow, how do you do that? You know, you know how to optimize for maybe cart value or, I don't know, conversion rate. Lord knows what a grocery store optimizes for. Uh, But, you know, you can look at that in-store stuff, and then you can also look at inventory turnover and how much is rotting and, and that kind of optimization to put them both together and calibrate that towards one common aim not easy i mean that, that, that you'd really have to think in a new way and get different departments to come together how does that work
1: yes and i think that the most difficult thing in a whole is of course is the fact that not many retail organizations are working in this way they kind of common <laughs> point where these departments meet might in the worst case be kind of the ceo level so how do you get them to work together is the biggest challenge so from the technical point of view to be able to do these optimizations, they are so complex that we need to use uh, methods like genetic algorithms and uh, kind of these metaheuristic methods that can actually find uh, from this huge data set kind of some pathways that lead into a kind of more optimum point. But we still cannot guarantee often that it's going to be the most optimum point. But what we can guarantee is that that it is kind of close to that point and and the interesting thing is that with these type of new methods you can actually more flexibly now i'm going into uh, let's say (laughs) details of optimization a bit but you can define the cost functions freely and in these cases the cost functions of doing a supply chain set up in a certain way with the space in a certain way and the cost being in the store operations they can be really complex so we need to have these methods that kind of can survive from these type of uh, complex cost functions.
0: Yeah, and, and again, determining those, you know, you say the word cost function to a grocery store manager and you're, I don't know, may, maybe, they're sp- maybe they're hanging right with you, diving into the statistics, but my guess <laughs> is they're, they're probably not, right? This is an assumption. Most likely with. not. Yeah, so it seems like part of the hurdle of adoption is you know, getting access to the data and you know, as you had mentioned, that's now allowing this to be possible. But also bridging the gap between different departments to find what we want to optimize for, right? Are we trying for throughput of inventory? Are we trying for net margin? There's all kinds of things you could optimize for, isn't yeah. there? I mean, you know, cost of, you know, the, the total cost, you know, that you're in, you know, margin, not just on the product but on the supply chain of the product. I mean, yeah, what is it? What does the education process look like?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. So, and first of all, of course, we are not really yet there that we could say that we have an, a function that can take everything in that we could basically say that by doing this this is your company's cross profit i don't know we kind of still need to focus on a couple of areas together so there's i i don't think there's yet anyone capable of building a model that would optimize the whole retail operations but yeah
0: i doubt it picking
1: two areas together and then figuring out what is the main uh kind of cost driver in that and then optimizing for that. And of course, for different retailers, that can mean different things. So for example, if you are in an area where the workforce may be cheaper, it might not be beneficial to optimize it for that purpose, but rather than on some other. So the logistics might be expensive and, and so on. So the good thing is that you can then start making these choices. So you have options. You just say that I want to achieve this, and then the optimization takes care of it basically so this is where the interesting part is but you are correct the the education of companies and organizations that haven't worked this way before is a a big challenge in the future but i think the ones that start to think this way will be the ones that most likely will be there still in the coming years (laughs)
0: yeah yeah so you're kind of mentioning two aspects here you're mentioning kind of the in-store and then you're mentioning sort of the inventory and supply chain side of things um, yep. If we just talk about in-store, where is the AI impact today? I know there's a lot of talk in the future about tracking where people walk and things like that. I know yep. that there's, there's e-commerce applications. When we talk about in-store, where realistically is AI hitting the ground running today?
1: I see there maybe two main points. One is this that I just just talking about. so being able to optimize the operation so that, for example, whenever there is a delivery coming into the store, the store personnel. It always fits the shelf. They never need to kind of bring in half of the stuff and bring something back to the back store when they might have inventory problems because somebody forgets that that product is there and so on. So this is the one side. So making the operations smarter, so to say, and adapting to the changing situations automatically. And then, of course, other side is the fact that we are getting more and more tech into the store. So there's going to be electronic labels on the product, like price labels on the products that we can dynamically change the prices. There's been... Uh, a lot of retailers investing in cameras either in the shelves themselves so they can constantly monitor what is happening on the shelves which then leads again to us a new data source that can be used Uh, then there's the robots in the stores my personal opinion is a bit more that i think that the robots are kind of a so robots that film the shelves so they can understand uh, is the products missing are there some prices wrong or so but i think i feel that's more like middle step and the real change is that we have cameras constantly monitoring each shelf and each product and we get real-time visibility to the stores
0: yeah do you see the primary benefit again if we freeze time today right no no talking about the future allowed just yet we're going to get there um if we freeze time today is the value of those cameras in stores now i'll be frank it doesn't really seem like there's that many of them right now at most stores right of the cameras that do exist then they do somewhere Do you see that investment mostly going to the marketing value of those cameras, you know, looking at the paths of people, looking at where they're gazing, where their eyes are, and kind of like trying to optimize those areas or something? Or do you see it mostly used as just an extension of supply chain, being able to predict how fast are we selling out of cereal, you know, how many more of this do we have, of that do we have? Mm. What do you see as kind of the
1: today value? For me, it's mostly on the kind of supply chain side. Of course, this, this is where I come from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah.
0: Well, I, I mean, but, we, we kind of see the same thing just as a quick sidebar. Yeah. So it's it might not just be your bias, but yeah.
1: We can collect much more data. So uh, we can understand that during the day, was there, let's say, a stock out or are the products in the right place? Because for example, we also, one key thing is that the shelves have that space optimized like I explained. But if no one has implemented that, that there is not really that space available, then everything that the machine does is wrong because it doesn't have the right data. So the cameras can help us to kind of get the right data into the right application and into the right algorithm, and then they can perform better. So it's more like a enhances now in the kind of short term, everything. We get better data, better quality and all that. So it makes everything work better. And then maybe later on, we find out some, really cool, totally new applications.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that's a common sentiment that that we've heard as well, is that sort of if you know how many boxes of cereal there are, you don't really have to interpret that. But if you watch how like a little kid is running around the aisles and like that's supposed to signify interest, like you have to know that maybe that's not interest. Um, and, and so, like, that there's like this weird interpretation layer on the marketing side. Like, what does this mean? While if you're yeah. just looking at, we have three boxes of frosted flakes, you need some more damn boxes of frosted flakes. So, interesting. Exactly. Okay, cool. Again, I know you're mostly on the supply side, but you're probably looking at all kinds of potential future transformation. In brick and mortar retail, some of which maybe is more realistic, others. What is that future vision that you're excited about? Where do you think where do you see things really changing? And let's say five years ahead, what kinds of in-store AI applications do you think will really be moving forward?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think that in the long run, like we know and we've seen already that the, the whole retail space, the whole business is changing rapidly. The kind of online is taking more and more share, especially on certain kind of sub areas of retail then there's home delivery so there's all sorts of changes happening the how people basically buy what the demand is different channels and all this will change and will change even more rapidly in the future so from my point of view that one the retailers that then invest in the planning and automation capabilities and now with planning I mean that if you can see a bit further into the future You have more time then to do these adaptations because we know that the market is changing. No one knows exactly how, but who has the better guess? (laughs) Hopefully using their own data, their algorithms and AI to kind of help in that, that what is happening on the ground level. Because of course, on the high level, we as humans can still make these predictions, but on the lower level, finding these patterns that what, what are selling, what are not selling. Is there where we have problems and then making decisions early on to tackle those? So that's one. So investing in the predictive capabilities that we can get with AI. And then another thing is that if the change is constant, then uh, we need help in managing that. So AI can also then help making automation that can adapt. So if we just automate things like they are now and we cannot change it, we know for sure that next year. <laughs> most likely that automation doesn't work anymore. So the automation, whatever we automate, needs to be adaptive so that whatever happens next year, we don't need to invest again in a new IT project that (laughs) helps us automate stuff because the old one doesn't work anymore, but rather build solutions that can kind of evolve. And that's basically what the whole AI machine learning is, that it learns all the time. So you hopefully don't need to change it, but it rather changes as we go.
0: Yeah. And and I guess, so on the predictive side, I think a lot of brick and mortar retailers would be very excited to see those kinds of applications develop. When you talk about that evolving, you know, obviously these systems would require some kind of ongoing maintenance. What does it look like to build a system that's robust enough to evolve, as you put it?
1: Uh, Yeah. And of course, at least now there's no algorithm that could get the whole system to evolve. So basically what it means that it needs humans uh, and users and and people to kind of guide the system so it needs to be something that can be controlled and configured so i see a huge trend in the coming years in the all these ai applications that they have human basically in the loop so if we in the past have worked mostly so that ai makes or so automation makes a decision or a proposal and then somebody accepts it or corrects it so in the future it will be the vice versa people give ideas inputs and kind of what they feel will happen. And then that is an input for the AI. And then the AI makes the final call. So it's kind of gonna be changing a bit. And this is because there's so much information that it's hard to understand whether that decision the AI made was good or bad, but rather at least at that point, afterwards it's easy to say whether it was good or not. So giving the AI more information that we still cannot capture by any cameras or any data sources we have, is with the planners. They have the expertise. So using that expertise in the loop with the AI is going to be, from my point of view, the really interesting thing in the future. Got
0: it. Yeah. And and just out of kind of a final point of clarity here, because I think you're touching on something interesting, um, you're bringing up this dynamic where it used to be, or you know, where, where maybe today a lot of the dynamic is a machine will kind of kick out exceptions and a human will label them or a human will feed the machine with labeled examples in the first place, um, in addition to sort of that exception, management and ongoing maintenance. And you're saying in in the future, there will be sort of humans making predictions and guesses, and then and then machines kind of <laughs> collating those together and coming out with its own output. I, I guess if you could paint that dynamic a bit more clearly for, for the audience, I'd really appreciate it, because I think you're, you're touching on something that does feel like a pretty big shift.
1: Yes. So what I mean by that is that until we can collect basically whatever information. So if we talk about demand forecasting in in retail, so we need to know everything about the consumers and being able to provide that to the algorithm as data that it could actually understand the world. So that's not gonna be there still very shortly. So I still feel that there's a lot of uh, kind of information with the planners that actually kind of are responsible of providing what stock goes into which store. And they might have an uh, idea that, okay, tomorrow is is a good weather. And I think that we are going to be selling much more than we usually do, because there's also going to be this and this event happening at the same location that somehow is not in the planning tool, for example, because that information isn't available. So that person can input that as information. And then the uh, algorithm, based on how well in uh, kind of history that user's input, for example, has, been useful if we are talking about these really subjective matters like i will i think that we will sell more rather than that more kind of accurate information that there is this event happening which is kind of surely happening and we might have historical information but the other part the subjective part that i think so then we can start evaluating how often has that been actually accurate and if that person behaves similarly, then it can work. But this is, I think, still kind of the future state because how to incorporate that is a challenge. But I think that that's where the whole area is going quite a lot. That how can we use people's information better in the whatever AI process we are having?
0: Yeah, and probably you know, just hearing you articulate it, probably that same dynamic may, in the longer term, make its way into workflows in all kinds of industries. Uh, And I think it's kind of a curious thought experiment. I'm sure we could go on (laughs) for another 20 minutes on that topic alone, (laughs) but I know where we are for time. But Amri, thank you so much for being able to to break down some of your insights and, and tell us about the present and future in retail and joining us here in AI and industry. So thank you again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and business podcast. If you enjoyed our coverage of the retail landscape, be sure to go to emerj.com slash R E T. And then the number one, it's R E T like retail. And then the number one to grab our AI and retail executive brief. If you want a quick download on the major use cases and key terminology for AI and retail. That's a great place to start. I want to give a big thanks to Henry for joining us here on this episode. It's always great to have guests from Europe. All, all of our European subscribers will occasionally ping me on LinkedIn and say, hey, we want more European folks on the show. So I try to create a good mix, grab some folks from Asia and every now and again, and some interesting companies from Europe every now and again, and keep a good balance of what we're covering here. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for Thursday as we get back into our Making the Business Case episode. And we're going to be talking about AI readiness in the enterprise. Whether you're a buyer or seller of AI, it's going to be a topic you want to stay tuned for. So I will look forward to catching you here in two days on the AI and business podcast.